Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 53 to Budapest, I, Alex. Hi, Paul. Now, Budapest is a small piece of a very complicated puzzle that you had to put together recently. And I cannot <laughs> wait for you to share this story because Budapest, while it might seem random, links this unbelievable story together that I'm hoping you'll share with us throughout the show. Yeah, I will. I said last time that I was going to Hong Kong via Finnair. Well, a lot of it <laughs> didn't actually happen <laughs> the way it should have happened and i'm lucky because so, i got the play-by-play so like I, as it was happening i was coming along for the ride but yet when you pull back God. and you see this story in totality it's really quite extraordinary that would teach me a lesson of always trying like strange routing so for once i was punished you know it, it always worked you know I, I did last year's things when i would go to warsaw and then connect to doha and and every time it worked right even if i padded timing a little bit this time it didn't and uh, thanks to the weather i'll talk about it a bit later i will also talk about Hack Horizon. I mentioned it last time. It was just over. We're recording today on May 9th, not even a week after our previous recording, which is quite extraordinary yeah, for us. Yeah, it doesn't happen very often at all, but there's so much to talk about that I figured yeah. if, if we waited, it would just pile up and pile up. Yeah, plus you're flying to Hong Kong. Uh, I am on like, Sunday. Uh, and I'm flying to Athens tomorrow and again Athens a week after. And we realized that if we don't record today, we might actually not record again for like three, four weeks. So let's start with uh, the news we talked about last time because we had some comments about our old rant about United. But to put it in context, before I go to United, there were two other stories, and they're relevant, that came out this past week. There was one, this was this fight on the ground in Tokyo. Yes. Wow, that was Was filmed. it on the ground uh, or in the air? I think it was still on the ground because the guy was then expelled. So this guy, I mean... The video, that's what the video shows. Yeah. And, you know, let's always take it with a grain of salt because the video only shows you one point of view. And that's part of the debate we'll have today, by the way. So you have this guy that suddenly starts, you know, just hitting the face another guy for no apparent reason. And then, of course, the other guy kind of starts reacting. Apparently, then the initiator of that whole fight quiets down for a little bit, then starts again. He had to be pulled out of the flight. Uh, apparently, he was uh, drunk. But still, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. And it, it was a full-on brawl. I mean, these guys were out for blood. It was pretty distressing just to watch the video. I cannot imagine what it must have been like to have been in the rows surrounding them while this commotion was happening. must have been terrifying. The first thing we both said, actually, when we saw that was like, oh, we should just ban drunk people coming in flights. (laughs) I know it's a bit maybe too much, but it's... it's, uh, I think it's true. And I think more and more airlines are taking a zero tolerance policy on this as as they should. And, you know, you and I talked about this briefly, but your point about Banning them for life and then sharing that information across airlines is is a really good idea. And I don't think airlines do that enough. They have their own list that they say, we've kicked you off and we're not putting you back. But I think that that information should should be disseminated. I think right now, more often than not, the, the pilot has the last say. Of course, on the ground, it's still, you know, uh, airport operations have a say as well. I mean, look, the thinking I had was a bit like the IOC, the uh, International Olympic Committee, which has a lot of flaws. But one of the things is when you caught for doping, well, you get a 
suspension for two years or four years or a life ban, and maybe something like that with a few strikes would actually work. Yeah. I'm not a I'm not a I'm not someone who says you shouldn't drink or whatever. But I mean, when somebody enters a flight and is already in a very high state of ebriety, maybe you know we should simply have it. It would be simpler to read the rules and say, look, sorry, uh, sir or ma'am, but you cannot get into that flight. You shouldn't have drunk that much. I don't know. I mean, because otherwise, how, how how do you cope with that? No, I mean, and if you're somewhere over the Pacific, a couple of hours away from a possible diversion, then what? That's even more dangerous. And you get into the point where you need to call Richard Marks to come in and taser somebody, you know? <laughs> it's like I was about to say that. <laughs> but, uh, you, you actually, I saw you, I just thought about it. I saw you reacting on Twitter about also someone who was getting way too many drinks in a flight. I think Virgin, was it? Yeah, it was a good friend of mine, Chris. He was on a flight back from Las Vegas and was uh, told me about a guy sitting next to him that had drank eight bottles of the little mini wine that they give you. Eight bottles of them <laughs> and, they, and i think his his issue was you know if the guy wants to drink himself into a coma fine but he was disruptive to him being a seatmate but also there's a point where the airline should take responsibility perhaps and say we're cutting you off but yeah that that's yeah. a difficult thing to say to somebody uh who might become violent yeah, absolutely. So tasering is uh, one of the options. I'm actually fine with, like we said in the episode, we talked about Richard Marx. The other, it's a bit different. It's not about uh, drunk. The other story that hit the headlines uh, in the US this time was, uh, I think it was, was it a Delta flight? So there was parents and their kids yeah. were sitting on the ground. So the story goes, because it's a bit complicated here. It the story goes, they had bought, I think, four tickets, two for them, the, the parents, and two for their kids. And they had on top one two-year-old. So two-year-olds don't have to pay for their seats and usually they sit with their parents. One of the kids, one of the teenagers had taken an earlier flight so he was not on that flight and uh, the parents decided that the two-year-old should get the seat because they had bought it. The airline then told them, I mean the, the attendant told them oh we've given the seat to another passenger who was on a probably on a waiting list or something and then obviously the parents went into a commotion saying no come on we paid for that seat so our kid should be sitting there the yeah. flight attendant responded. The video goes on for like eight, ten minutes, I think. And I think it's complicated because in yeah. that case, look, the actual, you know, name of the passenger of the ticket had taken an earlier flight. Yeah, so they so got the not, product they paid for. Yeah. And the kid, although he's two year old, was not ticketed. I mean he was, but I mean he didn't have a seat. And I could see like people on Twitter and Facebook, etc., like fighting over each other. I mean, of course armchair analysis, but yeah. who's in the who's in the right there? The rules Delta is in the right. I mean, of yeah. course, the, the name of the passenger, that passenger who had a ticket, is not on the flight. Yeah. Thus, the seat is free. Now, a lot of people say, well, but then the parents that pay for it. And then other people say, yeah, but there's some common sense. I'd, if- yeah, it is a gray area. And I'm still not sure that I have all the facts or Same. I've discovered all the facts yet. But I agree. I think Delta were in the in the right here, technically. Technically, and, yeah. uh, you know, the, the passenger got what the, the service they paid for. They just got it on a different service that they opted to take. And But then the whole thing deteriorates. And it's, it's, yeah. it's less about the actual issue and more about how that issue was handled by the, the thing on the ground, which leads to a broader issue that, that I think we're going we're gonna to kind of pick apart in this, in this episode because it just it deteriorates instantly from discussion of an issue to threats of imprisonment and their children being taken away from them. 
Yeah, because one of the flight attendants said, uh, well, if you don't comply, well, you'll lose your kid and he will be put in foster care. I mean, what kind yeah, of threat ex- is that? I extraordinary. Mean, this is, no matter the rules, no matter if Delta is right technically, you don't say that for crying no. out loud. <laughs> no, no, no. And I think whatever moral high ground Delta had initially, they immediately lost. Lost, exactly. It, it comes down to the stories we told about last week about Mr. Dow would come to there to a minute. But before we go to how to handle disruptive passengers, I want to say something. It's true also that on one hand, I'm very happy is maybe an overstatement that, you know, passengers have the possibility of basically broadcasting what happens. Say, okay, look, yeah. we're like these dash cam cameras you, you see on, on cars. You know, I was actually in the right when that other car hit me. The problem with that is that sometimes these videos obviously lack context. There's this uh, movie, maybe you've seen it, of the 50s of Kurosawa, it's called Rashomon, where there's like yeah. a story being told by three different witnesses. And of course, the story is very different depending on your angle goal and your point of view. A bit of this happens with these videos because, of course, when you start, let's say, even the brawl at that flight in uh, Narita, it seems pretty clear, but of course, it starts to being videoed at a time the brawl has already started. I'm not justifying anyone hitting anyone. That should never happen. But what happened in the seconds that led to that incident, we don't know. So I'm just saying that all this should be taken by a grain of salt. So I'm, I'm not here defending any airline or any passenger. I'm just saying that sometimes there's an overreaction about, oh, that video clearly shows that. And that comes to the point to people uh, uh, complained about our stance last time. We we talked a lot about the systemic stance of United. Yes. We said, okay, the airline has many issues, it's entitled, etc., etc. And some people, especially Nick, one of our uh, loyal uh, listeners, told us that, well, you're taking the side of the very disruptive passenger. He should have complied to the orders. He went out of the plane, so he was escorted a first time, then came back. There's actually a video of him coming back, looking a bit lost, actually, in trying to sit back in his seat in the $2 million, whatever the, n- the number he got uh, out of the uh, the settlement of United, uh, is basically rewarding bad behavior. Yeah, so see, here... See, I, I, I disagree that it's rewarding bad behavior. And I was fascinated by this. So I've spent a while just to make sure I fully understood the legality of what happened before we get into the to the moral thing and then this broader cultural thing and the PR angle as well, which which still confounds me. Ben Schlapping from uh, One Mile at a Time, he, he did a really interesting analysis that kind of takes at a very high level some of the points that are being made around this and picks them apart. And he even says in this post, he's not a lawyer. So take this with a grain of salt. But this whole thing was about denied boarding and the DOT's specific guidelines on denial of boarding and how airlines can deny boardings and the rights that they have and the rights that the passengers have. However, what's become clear is this guy was not denied boarding. And that's where all of these airline protections are built in so that if you are denied boarding, the airline is protected, the consumer is protected. He had a confirmed seat. He was allowed to board and to take that seat. And then after that, they come and ask him to get off the plane. After that, it's no longer denied boarding. It moves into a separate legal sphere called refused transport. And those are two very, very different things. They're both very clearly laid out in United's contract of carriage, a section on denied boarding and a section on on refusal to transport. And the contract of carriage has all these reasons why they can deny boarding and also refuse to transport someone. But a flight being oversold is not one of them. Oh, wow. And so... That means that this was a refusal to transport and not a case of denied boarding. So then 
This means that United had absolutely no legal grounds to refuse him transport based on what is inside of their contract of carriage. Because people keep pointing at the contract of carriage and saying, oh, but it says in the contract of carriage that denied boarding. It wasn't in denied boarding. And I thought, okay, that's that's interesting armchair analysis by someone who's very close to the industry. But what does the law say? Well, there is a aviation attorney, Arthur Wolk, who read all 45 pages <laughs> of United's contract of carriage and said that United violated their own contract. And he said, quote, I want to assure United Airlines they had absolutely no right to remove that man from the airplane. Absolutely no right to forcibly remove him from an airplane. They're in trouble. And then the National Law Review, which is a you know a very highly respected law journal in the U.S., goes even further into the you know legal precedent and the denied boarding rules and what the DOT says, and basically backs that up as well, saying that United breached their own contract of carriage. Doctor Dow was not denied boarding. United should have, as most carriers do, taken care of the oversold situation before boarding passengers. Once boarded, United Airlines' own contract controls with respect to why a passenger can be removed from a plane and being oversold is not a stated reason. Wow, wow. That's very interesting, actually. Yeah. Because that, that story led to a lot of things because whilst we were recording, the there were some hearings in Congress, was it Senate, I don't remember, in uh, the U.S. And there were, I mean, right now there's no new law, but it created an entire... That's. I, I will say one thing. I always almost admire the U.S. for that because they have always get like a, to a point of a lot of problems and then you have these public hearings about, okay, what can we do? I'm not saying that it solves everything, but there's a very resilient way of dealing with things. Uh, of course, um, ex ante, but still. And uh, so there were congressional hearings uh, about what should we do about consumer rights in this industry. There's been talk about forbidding overbooking entirely. Yeah. I don't think that will ever happen because honestly, it's fair that airlines overbook slightly planes because they know with the data they have that on each flight, there will be an X amount of people that do not show and they want to have actually fill the plane. So that's fine. Yes. But they, but still, there's a threat, right? There's a threat saying, oh, you shouldn't do it. There were other talks like that about also changing the conditions of uh, uh, changing your tickets in the US. Yep. So limiting the, the, the money, the, the airline could make you pay for uh, such a change etc. And of course, that scared a bit the airlines and uh, the uh, Airlines for America, A4A, which represents the big ones in the US, came out and, and issued a press release saying that they are committed to not removing a boarded passenger from an aircraft in a bumping situation like that anymore. I mean, again, they just said that it doesn't mean that they have changed their policies yet. But I think they're preemptively acting because they know that if they don't act now because of the public outcry, again, like we said last week, uh, like everybody but in the world has heard about this United story. Yeah. If they don't act themselves and self-police, they will have the hammer of their legislator. They don't want that. No, they don't. They don't. And I think, you know, it, this is going to be case law for years and years and years and years and years as this this problem probably will persist. And I think, you know, that what the legal community is pointing to is saying that if United had asked passengers to not board the aircraft while they figured out this overbooking problem, the airline would have been much better protected. But the contract of carriage doesn't give the right to airlines to remove passengers once they've been boarded, forcibly or otherwise. Now, if a passenger's committed a criminal act or interfered with flight crew, then that they can remove him. And this is another argument that was coming up a lot on social media is he disobeyed the orders of a flight crew, flight member, which is a federal offense. But 
Yep. If the flight crew had told me to take off all my clothes and run up and down the aisle naked, would I do it? <laughs> F no. Yeah. Absolutely not, because they have no legal authority Standing, to demand yeah. me to do that. And it was exactly the same in this case. So he was absolutely okay to say, I'm not getting off this plane, even though you've told me to. It's it's just an interesting thing. And I think it's 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 an extreme case. And I really hope it doesn't happen again. But you're right. It's it's introduced this kind of necessary period of introspection in the U.S. airline industry to, to figure out how they solve the problems. There will always be gray areas. Of course, uh, Nick Donnelly, uh, our listener and friend who, who mentioned that, said, Yo, if I have a fight in my pub, I should be able to remove whoever I want because I own the pub. And as you know, as the, the airline or even the pilot, I basically, in brackets, own the, I'm paraphrasing, it's not exactly what Nick said, I'm, uh, I'm owning the aircraft, thus I can make absolutely all decisions I want. Yes and no, because I agree with yeah, you. That's and, the thing. And I agree, with the, I agree with the pub analogy, but as long as it does, if you have a a, a contract between the pub and the punter that says the following things and either one of you violates it, then fine. But that's that's not comparable. But I really appreciate Nick calling us out on this because we didn't get into yeah, the yeah. intricacies of the story and we didn't cover both sides. And I and I think, you know, this has given us an opportunity to. So Nick, thank you. Please. He also, you know, he agreed and I think he probably even more passionately about it than, than, than we've stated in the past episode, that it is a cultural thing as well that needs to be resolved. We've seen, I mean, for instance, that incident we started with in Tokyo. I mean, having lived in Tokyo, I can only imagine how more difficult it might have been for a flight crew that might even not simply be used to have to deal with uh, yeah. that level of disruptness. How do you deal? I mean, the, the passenger was uh, deplaned, but I've seen my share of disruptive passengers. I've seen, you know, even drunk passengers. I've seen some of them, you know, the, the police coming into a flight and picking someone up and moving, but I've never seen violence happen in front of me. I'm not saying that the U.S. owns violence in no other country has. It's not true, but it's true that probably culture has a lot of things to do. I mean, there was we could also see about the reactions when people realized that Korean Air had tasers on board. Some people mm -hmm. were like, we're fine. I'm pretty fine with it. I'd rather them having, by the way, tasers than a gun. But yeah. you, could, you could see that some people were actually taken aback and said, no, 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 tasers are not okay. Everything should be dealt with cords and maybe restraints, but no going to. So it's very cultural as well. And everybody has a, probably a different stance on it. Also about the respect to authority. We might also, also be very heavily influenced by our perception of how, what you should do in front of authority and if authority should be, uh, you should listen to it. It's, it's, it's a tough one, to be honest, right? It, it really I, is. In that situation for Mr. Dow, the one thing I will say, and I'm not, again, defending him, because if you remember, guys, last time I said, I don't care if he's an ass or not, uh, because I wanted to get that out of the way, but it's true that we needed to talk about it. Thank you, Nick, for, for pointing that out. Um, the one thing I will say is that a bit akin to situations that we've seen uh, uh, when people criticize people taking their carry-ons after a mm. crash, for instance, the Emirates land crash, it's a high-stressed, I mean, you're being singled out in front of everyone, you first refuse, and then you can almost see see it in his face. I'm not a therapist, a psychologist, whatever, so yeah. I mean, this is purely armchair, but when he comes back into the plane, you can almost see that the guy is completely lost and he's like in a state that is not almost 
it doesn't look like he's in a normal state. Very mm. stressed. He's just, I, th- I just want to take this fight. Leave me alone. I just want to take this fight. Meaning that I don't know how I even would react if I were singled out like that. Maybe I will just follow orders. Maybe I will start to react. And then I will like, you know, instinctively say, no, I'm not moving. I'm standing my ground. This is my decision. I have the right to be. I don't know. It means it's complicated. I was watching CNN the other day. That happens to me sometimes. I was in a hotel. <laughs> and they were talking about that. One of the, in the industry people, I don't remember who it was, said a lot of it has to do with common sense you should you should just apply common sense you, flight attendants cannot just make up rules on the go and they don't no. but sometimes even if a rule says x maybe common sense should apply first before you go to the rule again it's i'm not saying this is the solution i'm saying that sometimes it, it looks like people go directly to the rule and that's the rule like the delta thing oh delta is right no it should have some kind of uh, maybe, you know, some uh, flight attendants are uh, trained to handle security issues, but more like threatening, like terrorism, etc. Maybe some should be trained in handling almost like negotiating. You know, how yeah. do you talk to someone? How do you engage with someone who is, uh, is being either easy. disruptive? It's not easy at all. No, clearly not. I, I don't know. I don't have the solution for that. But I probably will hear more and more, especially because, again, everything is being filmed nowadays. So you see everything every day that something happens in, in a flight or elsewhere. It's, it's an extraordinary thing and that we've had. I don't know if we're just more sensitive to it and therefore we've seen more of these issues or if there really have been this pocket of of activity. But I think what's I don't know if you've seen this as well, but what really bothers me at an industry level is so much of the analysis and, and comment is PR experts weigh in on <laughs> on this. And, you know, uh, you know, if I was running PR for United, I would have spun it this way. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. This isn't about spin, you know, and yeah. how dare you suggest it is. I mean, and they tried it and they fell on their faces. They, they yeah. absolutely made fools of themselves. And we talked about this ad nauseum yeah. in, the, in the past episode. And you said this, it is not a PR issue. This is not something that you can spin or that you can attempt to tell another story about because of the, you know, the age of broadcast 24-7. You can't spin this. You have to go back and fix the rot from within. The cultural. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And And that takes time. It takes takes years and years. And I don't envy anybody having to do this. Uh, By the way, we didn't mention last time. Munoz uh, got, um, some people say it's a slap on his hand. He will never be chairman of the company. Maybe that's blocked out of it. So he, he will end the CEO tenure one day and that's it. Whereas the, the track was he was supposed to become chairman yeah. afterwards. I don't know if that really changes anything. But Yeah, because he United- went on this contrition tour, didn't he? He went on, he went on yeah. uh, the you know TV and radio and, you know, cap in hand. And I, th- I feel it was genuine because... You know, no airline is going to want to go and say, yeah, we kicked his ass because he wouldn't listen to us, which they tried to do. And obviously, we all threw up our hands in disgust. But then, as you said, he was pulled in front of the U.S. government and, and questioned about it. So we'll see if that actually has any cultural effect at United, but I don't fly them enough to be able to witness that on a day-to-day basis. Same. Well, we'll see. But the brand, if we're just talking about that, has taken a hit, as if it needed to, because it's already kind of kind of well, long. I, you know I, what? Interestingly, so, so sorry to interrupt. Inter- interestingly, so there was, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I saw a study about millennials. I hate that term, but whatever, because, maybe because I'm too old. Ha <laughs> But uh, <laughs> about what, whether brands they considered cool and Crazily enough, which is why I didn't trust that study, 
millennials studied said that uh, United was cooler than Virgin America. What? 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 Maybe yeah. they, they like being punched in the face or something. That was <laughs> that was surprising. And I think what surprised me, but perhaps shouldn't, was that there was a bump in their stock price as well, or, or it fell less as a result of beating up a passenger than someone who said that they were going to pay their employees a, a living wage, another airline. Yeah. <laughs> there was some awful, awful, you know, just reinforcement of, right. of the corporate motives of, uh, of airlines as opposed to the passenger uh, loving motives that they perhaps should have. So it was just a, yeah. it was a damning indictment of the industry as a whole. <laughs> the, the one thing I will say is that all these people that were the next day, you know, because uh, the United stock took a little hit and then went back to normal, which I was expecting. Uh, I'm not Nostradamus, but I mean, come on, it's, this is sadly maybe, but it has nothing to do with shareholder value because the, the airline makes a lot of money. And also people were like, ban United. Uh, these never go anywhere, to no. be honest. Uh, uh, maybe I'm a cynic, but these never go anywhere. It, it will either be a cultural change, either being driven from inside or driven from a regulation or breaking up the company. Uh, but it's not going to happen because yeah. a few, five people will say I'm, I'm switching. You know, I, I don't fly United. I'm not making a dent in their <laughs> freaking stock, right? Yeah. Uh, let's go to two stories that are uh, nice uh, about airlines. Uh, there was this... Uh, a southwest flight uh, i think there was a, a mother she was in the in the plane already she had already switched her phone off and uh, her son was i think dying i don't remember the exact story because i'm not in front of me and uh, the the pilot got radioed and actually went back to the gate and uh, southwest did everything impossible for that mother to being able to be so you know good stuff happened right it's not only uh, airlines and not just machines trying to uh, punch you in the face no. but they also actually you know most of the time actually what happens they are actually people and they they try to help you even though in that uh, instance it was it made everybody else late the other fun story was i don't know if you've seen the video that the ryanair flight when the uh, the crew comes to this uh, i think he's a french passenger and um they start talking to him in English, and he, he doesn't understand, but he has uh, uh, this music instrument with him. And they basically tell him, you know, this is an Irish airline. You have to do something. And the passenger next to him tells him, you need to sing an Irish song. And he starts singing <laughs> and playing. An Irish, it's fantastic. <laughs> oh, and the whole wonderful. plane erupts in singing, and people clap and whatever. So, you know, even Ryanair, gets a lot of slack of not being a, always very uh, nice airline to fly with, was really... It's a nice video. I'll put up in the, in the in the show notes. Which, by the way, guys, I'm very late at putting because right now, because we both travel a lot, I'm prioritizing the actual delivery of the show over the show notes. But I promise you that I'll get back to them very uh, quickly. Well, if you want to fly with Glamour in the US, because a lot of people always say that never happens. I don't know if you've seen that LAX is opening a new private terminal. So it's not a private terminal only if you fly private. It's a private terminal that you have to pay a subscription to. On top, you have to pay every time you use it something. And we're talking about, I think the subscription is like $3,000 a year. And then you have to pay $1,000 every time you use it. But it's a totally dedicated terminal on, of, with which you can uh, go uh, and, and board whichever airline you're flying with. Of course, you have to be, of course, very, uh, very rich to do that. <laughs> That's probably a sign of the industry. Either you're very rich or uh, you have to fly with low leg room. But anyway, it's yeah. interesting that LAX would actually do that premium service. Uh, I find it pretty interesting. I, you know, uh, it gets a lot of stick that airport, but it's getting much, much, much better by every day that goes by. 
Another fun story, unrelated, since uh, we talked about it, uh, ANA last time. There was this uh, passenger, it was a long-haul flight, a nine-hour nine flight from Tokyo to somewhere I don't remember. And the person at Menino, when you book, you can ha ask for special meals, right? And he put uh, gluten-free. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the only thing he got was a banana and a pack of salt. Do you believe this? Do you think this really happened? <laughs> well, I don't know, because apparently the airline responded that they will review their policy and, and they apologized. To this guy, that just can't banana. be right. That's just <laughs> that's bad. Yeah, I've seen it. And I was like, can this, this was it that it was he didn't like what was given and then they did this? I, I'm not sure. But if he did, that's that's bad. That's bad that they just gave him a banana because that's like that's a little trick that people use, isn't it? That. If you know that the the standard economy meal is going to be terrible, then you order, you know, vegetarian, a vegetarian or, yeah. or a or a Hindu or, or halal Hindu, yeah, or something exactly. like that. And it's yeah. usually because it's done at such a smaller scale, it's usually much better. Uh, and you get served first. My my kids with their kids meals always get served ahead of time. But this clearly was not the case. <laughs> <laughs> the picture is fantastic. You have a banana with a, just a sticker on it uh, with a number, which is 33A in uh, so, ANA. <laughs> geez, I <laughs> anyway. hope that's not true. Yeah, me neither. Or at least I hope that uh, ANA changes its policy if it's uh, really true. Uh, since we're in Asia, uh, the C919 uh, has mm. taken its maiden flight, the Chinese, uh, the Comac competitor to Boeing, Airbus, and probably also Bombardier. Uh, what do you think? I think it's a very elegant looking airplane. It's like a a little mini dreamlinery kind of Although actually it's kind of it looks a lot like the Bombardier, doesn't it? Yeah, it has something to it, right? I think it's bigger. Maybe the size with a CS300. Uh it's a it's on the lower scale of the um, of the the, the narrow bodies of uh, Boeing and and Airbus. The thing is that I mean, of course it's just a maiden flight. It's been expected for a long time. It's been delayed, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but well, at least in China they have a huge market. They probably actually will sell some of those. Yeah, they've I'm sure. they've, they've had 560 orders, mostly from China. Actually. Almost yeah. exclusively from China, although GE leasing have have got twenty on order. Yeah, but they'll probably go to Chinese airlines. So, but I think that they're due to go into service twenty twenty. I Think so. Yeah. But yeah. congratulations so. to them. It's and they they stream the whole thing live. Yeah, from within that was the plane. cool. Two yeah, million people really were simultaneously cool. were watching, which was which was neat, very cool. Yeah. yeah, it was a very grand ceremony. I did watch some of it. It was it was fun. Uh, we said last uh, week that Norwegian was since we're going back to Europe, but Norwegian was opening the route to Singapore. The latest news about Norwegian that's interesting. They are pondering uh, having a base in Germany as well, so launching flights from Germany. So there would be a new base not only from now they have in the UK and in Ireland, but they would also fly from Germany. So they really are, you know, becoming like a European-wide airline, if you're going that way. It will yeah. be very interesting. My uh, my mother took them yesterday from uh, London, oh. Gatwick to Oakland. Uh, first time, well, actually, first time on, on, on Norwegian long haul. And it's always funny what uh, what people focus on and worry about when they fly. What did she like, say? What did she? She 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 got herself the uh, the the meal, so she paid ahead for the meal. Okay. Uh, but she she was worried about water. Like, will they will I will they give me free water? Do I have to pay for water? I'm like, I'm sure I'm I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> she kept going on. She's like, but I drink a lot of water. I want to make sure I can get the water. I'm like, just take a bottle. And then uh, she said, oh, I need to pick up some, I need to get some headphones or something as well. I, I, I don't know. It'll probably be fine. I'll probably just pick some up on the, uh, on the plane or something like that. And I thought, 
I, w- I wouldn't have thought for a second about water. But if I yeah. did not have headphones, I would have been freaking out. Going, I'm not going 12 <laughs> hours across the Atlantic without any goddamn headphones. I'm, gonna, I'm stressing out about this. But for her, it was completely <laughs> inconsequential. But she said that it was a very pleasant, very, very good flight. Oh, but then sorry. again, people like us, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying everybody, but that's also the kind of the sometimes the we don't see it. I mean, I always travel with my own headphones and I even Me connect too. them to whatever I have. So it's not a concern anymore. But it's true that uh, probably I still see a lot of people who are just using whatever the airline gives them. Yeah. So clearly, uh, not everyone is, you know, prepared with like 25,000 devices like we have in our, no, no, <laughs> in our backpack. I, I, absolutely. <laughs> I just don't think I could have risked not having a pair of headphones. Yeah, I know. Because, no, I mean, no, how many no, no times way. have you taken the airline headphones and one side doesn't work or yeah, yeah, you know, exactly, they, they yeah. literally fall apart inside of your ear? <laughs> but it's, so I just think it's interesting what, what is important to different people. Uh, yeah. on, Absolutely. You know. But she said that the, the, the check-in at Gatwick is now kiosk and automated bag drop now. Oh, wow. Which is wow. really cool. Okay. The easy to have it at Gatwick as well. You just kind of yep. you, you, you yep. print out this bag tag and you go and you dump it into a machine. There's very little human interaction. She said it. she went from curbside to gate in 25 minutes, including dropping a bag. Oh, wow. That's actually, wow. That's For Gatwick, pretty, that's unbelievable. Uh, yeah. Now, but Gatwick is really getting fully automated. That's uh, com- Compared to Heathrow, of course, Gatwick is a less premium airport, as, as in there's like uh, more, you know, the EasyJets and Norwegians, etc. But still, it's very interesting because even I don't really care about having human interaction. I mean, I'm saying that I feel like a robot or anything, but I mean, uh, having experienced the full automated Gatwick by flying EasyJet, I found it very, it made the flow very rapid. And even, you know, because sometimes you're like, I know it will sound a bit condescending when I say that, but you know, when I fly during the weekend or for holidays, of course, being used to travel in a more business manner, i like, oh, these people are so slow in front of me. I can't be like that. I'm sorry, guys. It's, I, 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 I clearly not not saying it out loud when I'm in the airport, but in my head, I'm like, oh, God, this this queue is not moving because, they, you know, people forgot their belts, etc. Mm-hmm. But then with automation and also because the Gatwick security layout is well done, it actually breezes through pretty fast. And that's yeah. actually very efficient. And so I wish more airports were thinking about uh, automating. There's always people, by the way. I'm not saying that you should, there should not be any staff there. But, I mean, the whole thing is being automated. Uh, and it really works. I really yeah. admire a Gatwick for that. I do, too. Yeah. I I do too. I've been, I've been more and more impressed with Gatwick every single time I go. The, the one thing interesting is that I, I came back from uh, Hong Kong uh, uh, at Heathrow. We landed at T5, and it was uh, 4.30 in the morning. And I always, you know, complained that, uh, you know, they have these e-gates. So if you have a biometric passport, well, you know, they have probably in T5, what, uh, 20, 30 of these gates? Yeah. And only like three were open. And yeah, I was like doing that. And actually, I was told because I uh, talked, we were flying with some people from Heathrow, the head of digital, et cetera, uh, that they need staff to look at the pictures while they're being taken. I mean, the, the computer matches, but this always needs to be staff to, really? I, I don't know if it's double matching. And of course, at 4.30 in the morning, there are not a lot of staff yet. Hence, they cannot open the 20X E-gates, yeah. uh, which is interesting because I, uh, I've i seen other airports where it seems to, are they using 
using simply more staff or are they trusting the machines more? It doesn't seem to be something. I don't know. It's interesting to see that the humans are still involved in matching your face with the yeah. computer or something. Uh, yeah. And I've also seen that they have people on there because the process does confuse quite a few people. If you haven't done it before, it is a little intimidating to to walk in and know exactly what you're trying to do. And so I think they need people kind of patrolling up and down to help people that have you know got lost in the system as it were i prefer the way the germans do it because i was connecting at uh, munich and i'll go to my trip in a second because you first put your passport uh, there's a first door if you want yes and if your passport checks as being biometric and readable then that first door opens and then the camera takes a picture of you and matches with uh, whatever information it got before because some people make you know think they have a biometric passport at ether that happens they go and then, oh, it's too late. They're already in that E-gate and they have to kind of come back out and go through the queue. And I think that having this two-step process in Germany makes more sense because it eliminates people that shouldn't have been there because they actually don't have a biometric passport even though they thought they had one. Yeah. I think that's that's clever. Yeah, it is clever. And I, this was never going to be a fully smooth transition no matter what airport no, or what country not. or anything. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's definitely been so far in the 10 years that we've been experimenting with this has been two steps forward, one step back. And and with every step we take back, they refine. Like, I mean, you remember the disaster at Gatwick, maybe and Heathrow, where they had them for like six months and then they had to tear them all out again <laughs> for I don't know what reason. But we persist. And I think that that's good. I will go quickly because I forgot to do it in a previous episodes, actually. There have been a few reviews. And I want to thank uh, and acknowledge those because people were very kind to us. I have a few in front of me. There's Fernando AG from the US who gave us five stars on iTunes. Best aviation news podcast. I really like this podcast. I think this is the best aviation podcast in iTunes right now. Thank you so much. That's That's really kind. Thank you. And Camille Roussan from Germany, the title says it all. I could listen to it every day. Five stars. Good balance of all global aviation. Very good audio quality. Thank you. We appreciate that. We're trying. Yeah, it's something we're very, <laughs> uh, very aware of. And I like it because he says, I always listen to it while uh, cleaning up and doing the dishes. Uh, I, I hope you guys keep it up, preferably weekly. Well, we're trying. It's really hard for us to do it weekly. We really wish we could, but we we still have to work and actually in our work uh, entice uh, travel so sometimes we can't but we promise that we are trying to do it at least twice a month and see we recorded last week we're doing one this week you should be happy (laughs) and we also even though I never requested them uh, we also had like a lot of reviews on our Facebook page facebook.com slash layovers.2 all five stars guys thank you Ian Dior passionate fun and informative J.O.Air aviation five star excellent humorous and informative this is exactly the type of podcast i love to listen when traveling by air which i do very often so thank you so much jay uh streaming ned highly entertaining five stars peter johnson he's been a very loyal listener yeah. since the beginning excellent program from paul alex highlighting the news and more crucially the experience of flying airlines today and also oscar gave us five stars so guys thank you i i, I never thought about asking reviews on on that page but thank you because it's really it's really kind you know it kind of validates what we're doing because we never we don't know most of our listeners sometimes you pop up on our 
feed and it's always nice to have this more personalized kind of interaction with you guys so thank you thanks a lot really yeah, really, really appreciate really you all appreciate taking the time to do that we really really do so uh yeah my travel so <laughs> let's go there uh, because it's quite of a long story i'm gonna try to be a little bit short I'll, I'll i'll just say it as as it happens so i'm flying to budapest i wanted to reposition myself to take that thinner flight from helsinki uh, aoi uh, 69 that would be taking me from helsinki to hong kong trying the same product that you had tried uh, two weeks ago going to helsinki from london the 350 everything goes fine i, I on purpose chose uh, to uh, route via munich with the lufthansa because i say look if i miss the connection in munich there's two other flights that still take me in time to budapest so i'm Sensible. like well Everything was fine. The flight, it was a 6.55 a.m. flight from London to Munich. We departed actually on time, even like a few minutes early. So uh, the layover was in one hour, 20 minutes in, in Munich, which is, Munich is super efficient, even if you have to go through uh, passport control because we live outside of Schengen. And I had a lot of time, actually. I even, <laughs> that's a joke. This, uh, you know, I, I, usually I would just go to the senator lounge since I have status. And then, you know, I was in the middle of the duty-free, basically, just walking uh, towards that lounge and there was this little you know spot when they sell you these like face creams and stuff like that and I, and I see this this person this girl like starting of course you know trying to sell me something right and I look at her and say okay challenge accepted so I'm gonna sit down and she started like you know explaining me all the products and putting like a face cream on my head you know I, I'm bald so as well I say yeah go ahead on my head then she put like eye, eye cream and everything <laughs> and at the end at the end of it I told her thank you so much because I looked really really tired and now I'm fine for the rest of my journey she laughed and I left. But I mean, thank you. I think Jasmine, she was called. So uh, shout out to you for playing with me for like half an hour <laughs> <That's> <laughs> explaining awesome. all your product. Uh, so then I took the, the other flight to, uh, that was also very nice. It was, I think once was a 319 and the other was a 321 to Budapest. And Budapest had five and a half hours. And I'll talk about Budapest at the end of the show. So, you know, all good. I'm like, this is great. I have all the time. Uh, I went to the observation desk. I'll talk about it at the end of the show. So it's really nice time at Budapest Airport. I could have gone to the city with five hours, but I decided not to. I did some work. Yeah, because it's quite a ways out, isn't it? Yeah, it's not that close. I mean, I'll explain that also at the end. There's no, like, direct link. You have to take a bus or a train station. That yeah. it. It's a bit complicated. So I said, you know, I don't want to stress out. I'll be here. And, you know, I was going to reassure because I was like, okay, from now on, because I checked in via mobile, I'm on a thinner ticket. So whatever happens, I'll be fine. Yeah. I go to the lounge, I start working, you know, and I was texting Alex. I was thinking all the quirks and the funny things about Budapest Airport. We board on time. We get into the flight, thunderstorms, but like massive, massive thunderstorms. The airport gets shut down. So I had a, a layover in Helsinki uh, for an, one hour and 30 minutes. I, I'm like, okay, if we have like 30 minutes late, I'm still fine. You know, Helsinki is very efficient as an airport. Yeah. For like even an hour late. And you know, time was passing. I was oh my God. And I was talking to the flight attendants. I even talked to the pilot. And was like, well, you know, you should be fine. You know, right now, nothing we can do. The airport is literally shut down. I mean, they didn't allow any ground staff to go outside. They, oh, they couldn't, wow. Uh, you know, so really yeah, end of the world. Really, right? Yeah, exactly. And you could see like with thunderstorms, heavy, heavy, heavy rain, lots of wind. No plane could actually land. No plane could depart. And no staff was 
was on the ground. So it ended up delaying me by an hour and 40 minutes. Uh, I just told you that my leg was in. So I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I, I, no, 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 no. The, the flight attendant tells me, well, I think it should be fine because we'll, we'll gain some time. And, uh, you know, it's, and in my head, I was like, well, it's, a, you know, Helsinki, Hong Kong is a nine hour and 30 minutes. It has happened to me, especially because I'm in business class that, you know, a plane waiting for 10 minutes, they will do it because it doesn't change a lot. It's not a short haul. So I was still hopeful, let's put it that way. Finnair, although that's a, it was a regular 319, it was really very enjoyable. Uh, you know, my mother was from Finland, so I was really happy to being yeah. able to understand a little bit of the language and the food. Also, that, that was really nice having some childhood memory, even if it's plain food. At 15 minutes before landing, I was actually going out of the lavatory, you know, in the front, and uh, she looks at me and says, "Oh, you're the guy that goes to Hong Kong." I say, "Yeah, no." Like, oh, ah. At that point, you know, I was like, "Well." So okay, wait, which, fine, po- you know, which point did they tell you this? 15 minutes before we were landing in Helsinki. Oh, so it's like you, you, you'd spent the whole flight going, oh, yeah, I might be, make it, I, I think I, should, I could do this, I can do this, because Helsinki is such a great airport to transfer. And they, or, you oh. know, I had even this thought that maybe they will wait for me and at the gate and, and breathe me there was me some, directly. some operational delay yeah, or something. something, you know, you want the well, gods I'll, to I'll, smile on you. I'll, I'll get you there. We land, I see the plane. I see the 350. And, you know, I was on um, a plane fighter and I see it. I'm like, oh. God, it's right there, right? <laughs> so we arrive, uh, apologize to other passengers, say, sorry, sorry. And I, and I go like right in the front. So I was the first one to go out to the cabin. The door opens and the ground staff that that person was there, she tells me, Finner is waiting for you to give me an alternative. But she says, she says, well, the Singapore flight is delayed by 45 minutes. Maybe you can catch it. And that's all she says. And I'm like, where should I go? She says, you go straight down left. Okay, so I, I run like, like a madman. You know, I'm with my phone in one hand, with a carrier in the other. And I'm like, where is that Singapore flight, right? And I go so fast. And this is where, of course, it's an outlier case. I'm like, you know, like you, Alex, we're pretty good at sensing where we are in an airport yeah. and figuring it out. So I couldn't find my way to another gate. And I ended up, after running like a madman, at the, the luggage delivery was. And I said, okay, whatever. I'm going to exit. I'm going to re-enter. So I take a flight of stairs. And I enter this huge hall, checking hall from Finnair. At that point, it's 11.55. The airport closes at midnight. So basically, there's no one. There's only two persons at security. Is there anyone from Finnair? They say, well, we're not sure. The airport is closing. Can I go through the Singapore flight? And I say, because I want to be honest, but I only have a Hong Kong <laughs> boarding pass. I said, sorry, but we cannot let you, which is fair, right? Yeah. And I'm like, my God. So I start running. And I end up finding the Helsinki airport information desk. There's like two persons. They start making calls for me. And I'm still looking. And I have this flight tracker. And I can see that the Singapore flight is still on the ground. I'm like, please, please, please. I need to get to that flight. So she tells me you have to go back where you were and there's a bell on the wall and you have to press that bell. I'm like, what? So, you know, she tells me it's next to that grocery store. I'm like, whatever. So I find a grocery store. I obviously don't find a bell. You know, finding a bell is like finding like a a little piece of equipment on a wall. I'm like, which bell? gigantic cavernous (laughs) airport terminal. (laughs) We start ringing all the freaking bells I could find. This person comes and says, oh, are you Mr. I'm like, yeah. Oh, we were waiting for you. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I couldn't find you. That was really cool because she was crew. So she, she takes me back airside via staff passages. So I, I don't know oh, if you wow. that. Yeah, because I didn't go through any kind of security, whatever. She drops me to a thinner desk, which I actually, I realized later, I passed by, but I didn't see. It was next to the belt thing. I look at her and say, can I make the Singapore flight? And she had all the papers. Ready, she gives me the papers in front of me, and I see 
the boarding passes and the boarding passes says Cathay Pacific. And I'm like, you know what? At that point in time, my mind went like, well, forget about that Singapore flight. Uh. <laughs> so, but suddenly I see Google Trips sending me a notification and it says... AI-69, which is Helsinki, Hong Kong, the one I was supposed to, mm. is 55 minutes late. And I'm like, what? So it's still here? And actually, the door had closed, the plane had been on the ground, and all this time was there. I just, it had closed. Oh, so actually, yeah. I, that's super frustrating because I'm like, I could have actually made it. But hang it's on still a second. Here. Cathay doesn't fly to Helsinki. No, but that's the thing. So they rewrote me the next morning, Helsinki, Paris, via Finnair, and then Cathay to Paris to Hong Kong, okay, which so is in 11 hours. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So I did Munich, Budapest, Budapest, Helsinki. I slept one night in Helsinki, Helsinki, Paris, Paris, Hong Kong. I was almost like 18 hours late in Hong Kong. Did, and missed did, they, put one you, of the <laughs> um, did they put you up in a hotel? Yeah, the Hilton. I mean, everything. I mean, to be frank, at that point, because I, I was lost, I was a bit even like angry at some point, like, what the hell is going on? But that was really well made. Everything was set for me. The hotel is two minutes away walking from the terminal. I even chose my seat. I told, can I? I didn't really care about the Finner flight. But I said, can I choose a seat on the Cathay Pacific flight? And she's like, yeah. And she pulls it up. And there was this window seat. Oh, my God. Like a solo window. I'm like, of course. You know, because last minute, I, I thought I would not have one. So uh, I was relieved. And shout out to friends who were there. There was a conference called Ar Arctic 15, a tech conference. <laughs> and they, uh, they were, I texted them and they said, Paul, join us for Cara. Okay, so I took a cab at like uh, 30 past midnight and I went to the center of the city 30 minutes singing karaoke with a few friends. You know, a few actually were there. And then That's amazing. I, uh, <laughs> so actually, I made something out of my night in Helsinki. So it was actually pretty cool. The next day, so the, the lounge at Helsinki is really, really nice. The Finnair Lounge. Oh, yeah, I, was, I didn't uh, get a chance to very, try it because I was in such a rush. Very Scandinavian. You know, I love Scandinavian kind of lounges, you know, lots of uh, white and airy and lots of light. It was really nice so first flight very pleasant flight finair so shout out to finair shout out for having rebooked me so easily and then you know Charles de Gaulle and <laughs> you have the same feeling about Charles de Gaulle I have and I have again it follows me an hour and 25 minutes to to change and I'm like I'm not sure which terminals these guys are but at that point you know I'm not thinking in my head and that's maybe stupid out of me I'm thinking well if they book me it must be that I have enough time to make that connection, right? Yeah. I mean, honestly. And so I land at Terminal 2D at Charles de Gaulle, which sucks. Finnair yes, switch terminal. It's horrible. We go out of the plane again. I'm like, I, I push my way to be the first because I really want to rush because I don't trust Charles de Gaulle. And uh, they couldn't open the doors that lead from the jet bridge to the terminal because they didn't have the right code. Oh, so I was no. talking to them in French. I'm like, guys, please, please. We lost like 10 minutes of not them being able to open the doors. So all of us were stuck in a jet bridge. Uh, anyway, 2D is a disaster. The layout is, again, a disaster. I'm trying, where is the passport control? I started moving left and right, going like, again, running like a madman with my carry-on. I pass passport, and she tells me something very ominous. She tells me, you should not stay here, go fast. And look at her, and I still have like an hour and 20 minutes. I'm like, okay. I continue finding worse transfer, and I end up on the ground level of the airport, and I see it's a bus that goes from terminal to terminal. I look oh, at the bus. No. Yeah, there's a bus route sticker. You know, I'm at 2D, and I'm supposed to go at 2A. So in my mind, it's like, these must be kind of close, right? Yeah. 43 minutes. What? Bus. How is that even possible? Because it does all the terminal 
clockwise, and of course I should have gone anti-clockwise, and that doesn't exist, 43 minutes. So you're sitting in a bus, and there's nothing you can do. You, at least when you run in an airport, you have a feeling that you're doing something. Yeah, you know, yeah. You try. There's nothing you can you're do. You're totally the at, the, yeah. at the mercy of the bus. <laughs> and of course, at every stop, which are many, you're like, why are you stopping so long? There's no one. Leave, leave. But you don't want to say anything because you don't want the driver to be upset at you. And So I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Even the guy at the door of that transfer desk, I said, I need to go to 2A. And he looks at me and says, how long do you have? I said, like an hour, 10 minutes. Huh. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> this is crazy. I'm like, no way. Oh, Anyway, I ended up arriving, honestly, just, just, just in time in 2A. Thank God there was no other layer of security. I just had to go into 2A. And then, my God, Cathay Pacific. Cathay Pacific, even the ground staff, which is probably Charles de Gaulle staff, was so well trained. For some reason, Finair had forgotten to put my uh, miles, my One World card, on the ticket, the Cathay Pacific one. It didn't show on the printed one. So she looks at it and she says, do you want me to add your miles? I was like, oh, yeah. So I was completely blocking the queue, right? She literally was so nice. So I want to give them a shout out. I should have kept their names. They were really cool at the door. And then the plane, I understand why people love Cathay Pacific, man. Now. Yeah. Shit. Oh, my God. This is really... <laughs> I get it. Alex, I get your <clears throat> love for that. They're like, my God, this is probably one of my best ever. Okay, again, business class. I get it. Uh, so a few people told me, Paul, it's not the same in economy. Of course. But my God, the seats... It's probably one of the best seats for sleeping for me. You know, I'm 196, uh, 64 ish. We're talking triple sevens. It's not the newer seats. You know, you still have these odd old connections for like uh, RCA connections. Yeah, and on the, you know, and all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't make any sense anymore. But wow, wow, the crew. How did you describe them? You described them when I was talking to you. You uh, said, "Yeah, the the cabin service manager or chief purser. They they have this sort of matronly." authority about them in a in a like almost like a nanny in a way that that they Absolutely. are able to predict a problem before it happens or before you or or to serve fulfill a request you didn't even know that you had it's it's, it's extraordinary incredible incredible honestly the level of service and that person <laughs> she came to introduce because i'm gold so probably you know she came to introduce herself and and you know i do the thing that i explained last episode she just called me paul and that alone she became my friend. She was over the top helping me, over super nice with me. And I, I'm so stupid that I didn't, you know, write down her name because she, that was my honestly one of my best ever experience in flight. And I tried to bet CBR in flight. Nice. Wow. It's good, isn't wow, it? Wow, 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 wow. It's well, really, yeah, it's really good. And okay, one of my best flights ever, shout out to Cathay Pacific. Sadly, it's still too expensive. It's not an airline that I would be able to fly very often. But so thank you, Finnair. I'm sorry <laughs> I didn't fly your 350, but I'm very thankful that you actually put me on the Cathay Pacific. Because yeah. the airline that eluded me for so long, I finally tried it and loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. So yeah, amazing. To make the story short, because uh, we're running out of time, when I went to check back, so I was flying a BA for Hack Horizon, BA 32. It's the 11.10, I think, p.m. 
to in ah, Hong that's Kong the one that to the A380. Mm. I did what you asked me last time, and I went to try the Cathay Pacific lounges. So I didn't realize there's like four or five of them. Yeah. That's, that's the first thing. Like They all have these names. And I was asking you, Alex, which one is the one that I should try? So at first, I went to the wing, which is the closest one to security. Yeah, uh, that's the upstairs a, one. Exactly. Yeah. It's very big. There's a business one, a first-class section uh, as well. And because the gate that I was supposed to take was close to that one, so I left my bag there. And then just walking, I went to the pier, the one you talked to me about. And that's the and underground y- one. Yeah, but yeah, you were right. It's probably one of the top five lounges in the world. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's, walking it's, it's, into it's, the it's, lobby of a of a five-star hotel. It's incredible. It's incredible. The quality of that lounge, I mean, it has been, I, I was reading about it, it has been redone recently, mm-hmm. it's, it shows, but holy cow, the food, the, you know, there's like a rooms, you can see the, the ramp from each of them, you can go to sleep, I didn't have time to do that. There's a, a restaurant, there's only on the first class uh, pier lounge, there's no buffet, only a, a la carte menu. Yes. I sent you the menu, holy cow, we need to have incredible. a dinner to <laughs> we need to have a dinner together there. Uh, yeah. they, the bar, I took another Betsy. And actually, you know what? Yeah, there's a difference. It's actually better in flight. It's actually true what they say. Maybe it's me psychologically that I assume that, but there's a difference in taste. And I much more appreciate it when I was at the 35,000 feet interesting, and not in the ground. I've yep. only had them on the ground. I'll get one on Sunday and, and try that. The, the head crew was uh, was saying, do they want to try the Betsy? And, you know, I was having food and I said, yeah, but I'm, I'm still good with the one. She says, I'm going to keep a few for you chill, just for you. I'll mark them for you. So yeah, she actually had wow. kept some, I mean, again, level of service amazing honestly oh my god i will i adore this airline i understand why you love it so much so yeah the pier is one of one of the best lounges i've ever seen i've taken a lot of pictures it's incredible i'm looking uh, forward back, to going back ba32 so we had the entire premium economy for the hack horizon so people were actually hacking so coding etc uh, in the plane That's so uh, cool. that was really really fun we had uh, the head of digital from uh, ether was with us we had a head of uh, smart airport uh, hong kong with us we deal with all the you know, apps and all the smart technologies there they have like twelve thousand beacons you know for the first time i tried to download an app for an airport which i never do like you don't probably and uh, i've tried the indoor uh, wayfinder holy cow this is accurate and this is great it even detects at which floor you are tells you like three meter radius exactly where you are and gets you directions where you want to go it's super wow. super well done congrats to Hong Kong Airport for that Ethro is actually uh, but they are about to release wayfinding as well so oh, this cool. is really really good yeah really really cool uh, so that's that's going to be out very soon I cannot tell you exactly when but it's uh, we had access to the API so we're able to try also indoor mapping and I've been able to see the preview of indoor uh, wayfinding at Ethro. so the flight and I want to give a shout out to Robin Robin is the BA guy who handles China Philippines and APAC he is the one who believed in Hack Horizon he is the one who put the money where his mouth was and supported the entire project inside of nice. uh, BA. And you know what? So I was also in business class, a few of us. So he was uh, me and uh, Steven and another person. And he actually was my tandem seat passenger ah. in business. So for once, for once, he was actually nice because I had someone that I knew. So we actually chatted a lot. And at some point, I even saw him like he was watching a movie. It was a 12 hours and nine minutes flight. And I saw him laughing so much. And I said, what are you watching? I need to watch the same thing you do. <laughs> so now it, for once, it was not awkward to have this kind of very closeness yeah. with your fellow passengers. 
that's was nice. nice. Uh, so that was a very pleasant flight. The crew was because the crews at the beginning were like, "What the hell is happening?" There's a lot of kids here, like coding and not sleeping. And uh, but since we were not disrupting anyone because we had like an entire cabin for us, it worked very, very well. So thank you, BA. You had a stellar crew that was really fun. What uh, a being neat with you. experience. So I know we are about to end this show, so I'm going to quickly explain. I know I'm rambling uh, what the the results were. So I didn't take, as I said in the previous episode, I didn't take sound bites. I, take a, I took a few, but not enough to create an episode. So I'll probably do something else with, with them. And I will invite some of the guys I just mentioned. Good you know, idea. They had a, dig, had a digital of ETHRO, uh, Hong Kong as well. They approved it and a few others, a few of the participants. We had, we had guys that flew from L.A., from Sao Paulo, from KL, from New New Zealand, from all over Europe, Italy, of course, the UK, that all flew to be in Hong Kong to be doing that flight. So it's really, some of these guys are, they're they're ex-Apple, they've been working at Apple for 10 years, so they had like a lot of credential and experience. It was one, even this guy that has even written shows for Fox, I think Lethal Weapon, you know, the reboot of the... I mean, it's crazy the amount of different people, the super good balance between creative designers, coders, and business-minded people. Literally in three and a half days, because yesterday on May 8th evening was the final here in London, these guys created live working prototypes Amazing. in three days. I, I'm which always is probably, just blown yeah. away by that. This is probably the best thing that goes out of a hackathon is showing companies like BA through others that... You don't need, you know, timelines of 12 months or even three years to build stuff. You know, sometimes I know these are prototypes, but in three days with not a lot of sleep, clearly, but in three days, you can actually do all this uh, very quickly. Uh, we had, of course, a help from Hong Kong Airport. We did a tour of the backstage at Hong Kong. It was really super interesting, the technology they have. We couldn't take any pictures, but we saw the operation centers where they actually monitor all of us. They can track, of course, people, especially for suspicious behavior. I was told that in uh, Shanghai, Pudong, actually this technology is even more enhanced to the point that they can know that Alex Hunter is there and they track you at every single second. Wow. Wow, this is almost... Uh, 100% sure I feel about that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's very interesting to see how it works from behind the scenes. We had, of course, uh, Travelport, CETA, and others that were giving access to the team's API The products they created were live. We're using actual real data from today. Not, you know, it was not just uh, sandboxing and. so quickly, the way it goes, people pitch at the beginning, and then they try to gather team around an idea, basically pitch amongst themselves. Ah, okay. And eight teams uh, were uh, formed. The first one was a smartwatch that used deep learning to personalize the passenger experience. So the idea is when you're on layover, wow. you pick up a smartwatch uh, at, uh, for instance, Ethro. They even actually found a smartwatch, you know, a $30 smartwatch that you can find in, in China, which has all NFC, you know, Bluetooth, all the things. And that smartwatch keeps you updated about your journey, but also with wayfinding that Ethereum is implementing, uh, tells you where to go. It has all your information with your PNR, so thus gives you uh, hints of where you'd like to maybe do some shopping. Maybe Alex wants to buy new headphones and not go for cosmetics, right? Or stuff like that. So it was a very interesting idea. The second one was um, predictive AI to basically enhance your passenger experience. It was called Happy. It was actually a, a little person. So like, you know, like a, a virtual assistant like uh, that shows on an app and actually tells you what to do and it helps you. Oh, that's cool. Uh, I think it uses IBM Watson uh, API because wow. IBM was also helping us. Uh, there was another uh, team that's called TripFlow. It was end-to-end security luggage transfer by blockchain, you know, so the, the ledger. And that works really well. So it was not only, you know, from 
the time you actually give the, your luggage to the time you get it under belt. It was including solutions to have it delivered at your home. So hand half solutions because blockchain will allow you to track your luggage. It was very, very clever. And obviously we're talking about very high-end technology. Another one was called Collabos. It was a chatbot, but a very interesting one is just, I mean, we've talked a little bit about that in the past, Alex. It was about um, creating, you know, group travel. We're five of us. We want to go somewhere. And this chatbot helps us uh, predict the dates we want to go, where we want to go, how to organize, where to buy the tickets, how to split the money. It was uh, three days. It was really well done. That's it's uh, amazing. It's really, really cool. Then uh, Destination, they are the ones who won. And I talked to you about that. It's an IFE to mobile retail solutions. You build stuff during your flight in the IFE, which probably, of course, is offline or you don't have Wi-Fi in the flight. So you can buy Destination products, activities to do in London, in Hong Kong or elsewhere, or even simply buy stuff, you know, on the, the Sky Mall of, yeah. of these airlines. And then this gets hand off to your app, so let's say BA app, for instance, and you can buy when you're actually on the ground, make the deliver or activate whatever activities you bought. You could create a journey. What are you going to do for three days in That's London? So it's very clever. clever. That's so clever yeah. because so often you're looking and you, 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 you want to get the actual, the mechanics of your trip down, like the, the hotels and the transfers and the flights, obviously, that some of that stuff often gets left by the wayside. So using the flight to, time to, to build that stuff is very, very clever. Yeah, it's, and then and being able won, to take actually, it with you, as you said. They won the competition because it's something that could be actually done tomorrow, even by simply because they, they scaled down the ambitions, of course, because three and a half days. Yeah. It's simply at the end of the process on the IFE, it gives you a QR code, and the QR code, you, you snap it with your phone, and that's the handoff. Instead of, at first, they were thinking about you know IFEs and APIs, but of course, that would require Panasonic and Talos and all the other guys at IFE to actually implement stuff which you haven't done yet. There, These machines are still a bit dumb, um, they just display stuff, broadcast stuff yeah. to you, like uh, movies and stuff. There was another, it was called Lounge. Uh, they were doing like, uh, you know, let's say, Alex, you have access to the Lounge. This is a location-based and time-based. So you, you can say, you know, well, I have a free second person that can come to me in the first class lounge at, at E35. And uh, because the, the program knows your PNR, it tells you, you're going to probably be there for the next two hours. And then uh, I can either request, or you can simply, you request me, say, oh, Paul, you, oh, I see you're also in T5. Do you want to come? And it's based on Serendipitous connection, so use of course LinkedIn API and other stuff. It's pretty. It's like you know lounge surfing if you want, you know, allowing cool. other people. And they they mostly targeted like independent lounges, like you know Aspire number one and others. The Priority Pass is one because of course these are the ones that make money of more people coming in. Uh, then there was Lux Press. Uh, they became number two. They won the second prize. They have access to all the pricing of all the duty free products in all airports, and they tell you, well, Alex, you really want to buy your head phones here at I've always a... wanted to do that. I'm so happy yeah. that somebody's doing that because yeah. not only will you you can you see where it's what whatever product is the cheapest, but you can also go if you're in an airport. By the way, I don't know if you're looking to buy this, but this is the cheapest in the world. This yeah. item that you may not have wanted, but since it's the cheapest yeah. in the world, you might yeah. want to go for it. Yeah, so they, that's what they do, and they even provide a system uh, within that that would actually even deliver it to you. So they will uh, find a way that even if you're not at that other airport, to have it delivered to you at that airport pr price point. Some of the judges said, well, you could also help uh, airports say, okay, we're going to price match whatever yeah. you got there. So it's very, that's very clever. That's that why they, they won clever. number two. Uh, Kitfly, that's the last team, uh, the eighth team. When he was pitched, I really liked it. I don't have kids, as you know, but it was, uh, you know, this whole problem of unaccompanied mind 
airliners. You yes. know? And a lot of airlines have either scaled back or even some airlines have stopped because it's, a, it's quite of a headache to actually manage that. And there's a lot of liability and responsibility to... I've, as a kid, I've many times traveled alone. I remember having this cord around me with my boarding pass yeah, and my here. chest. Because you, you lived through that because you were in boarding school, right? Yep. So uh, you had to use that. And that's how the idea came up. They said, okay, we're in Hong Kong. We have all these kids that go back to the UK alone. And airlines have difficulties more and more. And they say, how can we price that correctly? So they basically created this app, apps, because there's one for the parents and one for the kids in cooperation with the airline, with the airport, but also with Uber and others. So basically, you would have the entire journey mapped out. So you would, you would know at every single step where your kid is. And in two ways, because you want to give your, your child responsibility, your kid can constantly tell you, oh, I'm in the plane. And he or she just checks the I'm in the plane. And you as a parent get he or she is in the plane. But at the same time, if your kid stops doing that, you can still, because of the beacons, etc., know where exactly he or where she they is are. right now. In London, I've seen a lot of parents putting their kids in Uber in the morning to take them to school because they're like, you know what? I know the driver is, I know, 4.5 stars, and I can actually track the driver, and I can know exactly when my kids are being delivered. Sorry, delivered is not the right term, but at school. And this is a similar idea, but the whole journey. So even like... Is the minder coming to find you at the gate? They added this example when the one who was playing the kid says, Dad, I'm scared. There's no one waiting for me. That message immediately got to the dad phone, and the dad could actually press a button and get immediately access to a dedicated service to, I think, from BA. You guys created this whole service in three days. It's incredible, <laughs> isn't it? I'm, still, I'm always blown away by that. It was really fantastic. I know we're running out of time for this show, so I'm going to stop here, but it was fantastic. Thank you for all the partners, BA, uh, Ethro, uh, Hong Kong, but all, all the rest, uh, HackHorizon.com, you can see their names. Uh, shout out to Costa, Christy, Sandra, and Johannes, who are the four guys who actually put all this together. It was really, really fantastic. Sounds enough. amazing. It really does. We had a lot of, we had a lot of airlines and airports having FOMO. They said, oh, we want to do this, so let's see, let's see if that ever happens again, but it was a fantastic experience experience is going to be a film and whatever i'll try to post all of this on our layovers page uh but yeah it was absolutely fantastic since we are running out of time there's other news i wanted to touch like big in hill airport i will never tell the story yeah oh yeah yeah I gotta get <laughs> so have you been there. to budapest i have airport. i like it i like it it's a it's a good little airport uh and it has a little tiny airplane graveyard and airplane museum. But I, I love it because I saw the best airplane registration I've ever seen there from the now defunct national carrier of Malev, Malev of Hungary. And the, <clears throat> the prefix for Hungarian airplanes is HA. And this plane was HA hyphen LOL. So it was ha lol. <laughs> and I thought like the dork in me just sat there giggling to myself. My wife was like, what's wrong with you? But yeah, it's a, it's a good little airport. And I think it sounds like it's gone. I went last time seven years ago. So it sounds like it's gone through quite a uh, modernization process. So I was there, I just told the story, uh, a few good things about it. First, it's, you know, it's not a massive airport, it's very easy to navigate. Terminal 1, and I think it was still open when you went there. They closed down Terminal 1 because, you know, Malev went into bankruptcy. So basically now the airport has a lot, I've seen a CS100 from, from Swiss, actually, it was really cool. Uh, has a lot of Wizair. Wizair is a Hungarian uh, low-cost carrier that we see a lot in Europe. It's, it's a big It's a big LCC, and that's their base, so you see a lot of Wizairs. I've seen also Norwegian, I've seen EasyJets, obviously, and I told you that new. EasyJet livery is not really bad. Yeah, I don't like it. Um, 
So I think what happened is that they realized there were not enough uh, foot traffic to Terminal 1. And since Terminal 2 had been expanded and renovated, they uh, concentrated everything there, which creates the problem I mentioned earlier. The train station for for that airport is actually under Terminal 1. So you have to take a bus from Terminal 2 to Terminal 1, which is about eight minutes, and then board the train to the city, which is why I didn't do it. But taxis work well if you want to go into the city. It's pretty straightforward. It's actually pretty safe. There's even like a, a taxi waiting box, you know, when the person inside and even gives you the the, oh, yeah. the number plate of your cab. So it's really safe and off. So it's, I really appreciated that when I went last time. So anyway, Terminal 2 is it's small. There's one side basically for international and one side for Schengen to make it very simple. The one thing that is really, really, really cool and more airports should have, they have this observation deck on top. It's landside. So anyone can go. And you, I, I've seen a lot of parents with their kids going to see just the planes taking off and just, you know, that was really, really nice. They're really proud of her history, which is something also appreciated. There was yeah. a lot of, of photos about what kind of planes I've ever landed. There was like a few of the Russian billionaires' planes. There was the 380 did uh, test there, oh, wow. as, as well as the CS100 before it was ended off to Swiss and Antonov, etc., etc. But that means that you know they are trying to you know to teach you about aviation and being very proud of what they are. And that's something that I don't know. It's nice. You know, I'm not saying that it's extraordinary by itself, but it's nice to have that. And they provide their chairs. There's even a cafe upstairs. You can stay. I stayed for two hours there instead of going to the lounge and locking myself in. I said, I'm going to just work from up there. You know, yeah, it was still before the thunderstorm. It's, I really did appreciate that. The other thing is really interesting there's a lot of little boxes, vending machines in the airport, and you can buy fast track. The fast track is only four pounds. Uh, which I is that uh, so that I've asked other airports like Ethra says, would you ever go into selling fast track? Uh, Ethra, by the way, didn't answer, which tells me they might actually go to something like buying a fast track access. Some right? some airlines <laughs> or some airports do it, but it's not nearly as convenient as the vending machine. That's a great idea. And uh, fast track works very well. I mean, it's a bit of this fast track where basically the fast track leads you in front of everyone else. So, <laughs> yeah, <it's>, uh, <laughs> but people accept it. But anyway, it's it's a small airport, but really well done. And for you really a layover. got to test I, it for a layover, exactly. For five hours, unless you're like me and you had to work, you honestly have the time to go to the city, and you should, because security was not, even if you were not fast track, was not super long. So I would recommend that you visit because Budapest is a very nice city to, to see. The center is beautiful. But if you ever are either stuck like I was or need to get work done, it's nice. I visited one lounge. I don't remember the name, the... It changed name, MKR. I think it used to be MasterCard. But anyway, very nice because, you know, these non-airline lounges, sometimes, sometimes like, they're yeah, very hit and miss. It was really well done. So will they ever reopen Terminal 1? We don't know. Uh, Terminal 2 uh, is seeing an expansion uh, again in uh, two or three years. So we'll see. But it's just go there. Don't do like me, uh, finding crazy routes to go to uh, places because yeah. you end up like me being stuck in places. But if you just go to visit, like I did actually last year, it's a really nice place to visit, and you'll enjoy yeah, the I observation. Yeah, like I like it a lot. Uh, so when are you flying, Alex? Sunday to Hong Kong for, for just a day or two, and then back to Paris, both on Cathay and business class, so I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. <laughs> yeah, so it's both ways, it's 777, right? Correct. Because Ethro is also 777. I think Gatwick is 350 now. That's right. Now that I've seen what it is, I'm extremely jealous. <laughs> yes, like, I am Extremely to. jealous. Try the Betsy beer. I will. You know, it's I a 12-hour flight. I'm very so. interested now that I've tried it on the ground, then I'll try it in the air now. 
you know what? Don't do it very early in the flight. Make sure that it's really chilled, like really, really cold. Okay. And then get it because it, it works, honestly. By the way, since we're on that, they've actually announced that they're expanding the number of, of routes where the beer will be ah, available. Good. I was I was actually surprised to see it from Paris because remember when we talked about it, we said it was London. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. And uh, because it's such a success, they are expanding it on other long-haul routes uh, besides, you know, the lounges, etc. So, guys, if you are lucky like Alex Hunter to fly Cathay Pacific every other day, <laughs> please do try. <laughs> I wish that was the case. Uh, and then how are you coming back from uh, – did you decide how you come back from uh, Paris uh, I'm to taking a, I'm, London? Uh, on your recommendation, I'm flying out of Orly just back up to Heathrow on BA. So that, that, that was definitely the easiest so we'll uh, we'll discuss again about Olivia. I'm also flying there, I think, in two weeks. And I sadly have to fly again also at the Charles de Gaulle. Oh, my God. Oh, God. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll do Charles de Gaulle one day as an airport. Yes, right? one day. On that, Alex, uh, thank you for listening to my rambling. Oh, no, great. A lot of this unbelievable stories. And uh, uh, see you next time. All right, safe travels, guys.